Good to see you. I'm really excited about this series. Um, we're going to take the next, all of this term, probably the following term as well. We're going to, we're going to take our time um, digging into this. Um, and I want to kick it off this morning, kind of do a bit of an overview. Um, and I really loved, I love doing the first one in the series, but I'm also, I find it a bit difficult because I kind of want to, everything I've been thinking about and praying and reading and listening to over the last few months, I kind of want to tell you all now, but I need to just hold back um, this is an overview. Um, and so we want to we want to dig into these two questions. Um, who am I? What on earth am I here for? Um, we want to we want to look at the Bible to find the answer to those questions. Um, and what we want to do is really this whole series, we're going to dive into um, what God says was his plan in Genesis. Because like there's lots of answers to that question. Who am I? What am I here for? What am I supposed to do? You can find a million answers if you ask. But we want to go back to the source. We want to go back to Genesis 1 and say, okay, what does God say about why we're here? Um, what was his intention? What's his plan, his purpose for us as humanity? Um, and so I want to kind of overview that this morning. And I want us to, um, what we want to kind of really, rem- I want to remind you is it's really important when we're, we're looking at these questions, we're trying to figure out these things. Um, it's actually that we do that in the context of the whole big story of God. Um, so if you, the simplest way in four phases, this is, this is really the big story with the beginning, the middle and the end, right? It starts here. It starts in creation, right? And this is what we see in Genesis 1. It's creation. And then we see the fall. So sin enters the world and things go wrong. And then we see the cross, where we are rescued, where we're redeemed. And then at the end of the Bible, we see the renewal of all things when Jesus comes again. For simple terms, that is the broad arc of God's big story. Now, one of the things I think we have sometimes done um, in the church is, is we talk mostly about the middle of the story. So we talk about this, actually, we're, you know what, we've got stuff wrong, we've, we fell, we've sinned, we've been separated from God, and, and something, there was a problem, and hey, do you know what, there's an amazing answer to this problem, and it was what Jesus did for us at the cross, right? We rightly talk a lot about the middle of the story, and we, that's what communion's about, isn't it? It's reminding ourselves what Jesus has done for us. But listen, it is an amazing, powerful middle of the story, but it's it only really... Um, it's only going to fully land with us if actually we understand it in the context of what the beginning and the end was. And I wonder sometimes in the church, and certainly I was, I've been a Christian a long while, but I'm like, yeah, I don't f- think I've thought an awful lot about the beginning and the end. I love the middle, um, but I want to know a bit more about the beginning and the end. And so the middle really only makes sense if we're sure of the beginning and the end. And I think, increasingly I'm aware, how I live on earth, how I interact with people, how I do life, actually is massively determined by what do I believe about where this all began and actually what do I think about where this is all heading. Actually, I think that does make a difference in the here and now. Whether we consciously are aware of it or not, I think it makes a difference. Because here's the thing, you know, the good news of Jesus, the gospel that we're called to preach to all nations isn't just about sin being perfectly and finally dealt with. It is about that, wonderfully so, but it's not only about that. Actually, it's about identity, purpose, and authority being restored to God's people, to humanity. And it's about a reconnection to a future hope. So actually, the gospel is it's a much bigger answer to a much bigger question than, hey, I've sinned and now what? It's bigger than that. And we need to tell the whole story because I think, I think that really matters in how we, try, how we figure out, well, well, who am I and what am I here for and how do I interact with culture and life and politics and money and sex and relationships and art and creativity. Like, how do I, how do I figure all that stuff out? We want to know the whole story. John Tyson um, says this about this whole question. He says this, because we haven't told the whole Christian story, we have a generation that is trying to make sense of God, Jesus, culture and the world, but unsure how they all fit together. The reason that it's important to have the whole story with its beginning and its end 
is that the middle part only speaks of our brokenness and not to our purpose. It only speaks to our fallen condition and not to our created condition. This means when you start a dialogue with culture and all you tell them is what's wrong with them, not who they are and why they were born, you end up with a story that loses cultural influence. I just wonder whether that's maybe where we're at. Slightly trying to engage with half a story and actually then coming, actually we haven't got the influence that actually we should have. So, so we want to look at this, the whole story and this, this is what we're going to do in this series. Actually, how can we engage with and love and serve and build and create culture in a healthy and godly way in the context of this big, beautiful story of God? And so this morning, I want to, I want to look at the beginning and the end. And this is, goodness, we could talk a lot about the beginning. We could talk a lot about the end. This is scratching the surface. But I want us to have, I want us to have these bits in place. And then next week, we're going to dive in a lot more into the middle. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 1 this morning. And this whole series is coming out of this, what God says about us when he made us. So this is Genesis 1, starting at 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So there are three things I think we see in, the, in, in this um, passage and in the kind of the first few chapters of Genesis in terms of how, what God created. Um, and I think, listen, I want to say this. It's, I think it's really important that we acknowledge there are different ways of understanding and engaging with the Genesis 1 creation story, right? And, and Christians would, some Christians would very strongly feel like this is an absolutely literal account that God created and on seven days, seven periods of 24 hours. That, that is an absolutely, literally, that is what happened. And I, I've got space for that. I have absolutely no question that God can absolutely create the entirety of the world in seven periods of 24 hours. He's God. He can do absolutely what he likes. But other people will be like, actually, no, I don't know if it's literal. It's maybe seven periods of time. Is it, is it literal or is it more nuanced? Is there a bit more I need to understand with it? I'm honestly, I've got loads of room for both. And my honest answer is I'm not sure I know exactly. And I'm actually really fine with that. For me, the important thing isn't exactly how and in what time frame. For me, the important thing is that God did. God created. It wasn't this random colliding of atoms and gases and oh, there was a big bang and oh goodness, look, there's life. Like God created. That matters, that God did. And the other thing is not so much the how, but the why. Why did God create? And specifically, why did he create us? What was his plan and his purpose for humanity? So I just want to kind of put that out there and acknowledge, listen, there's different ways of understanding an, an interpretive Genesis 1, and I'm really fine with that. Um, but the important thing for us to hold on to is God did create. It was God. And why? He had real plan and purpose. And that's what we want to look at. So there's three, three things, three elements particularly that I want to kind of highlight in God's plan for us um, specifically humanity in creation. And the first thing is this, that he says it repetitively in these few verses, that we're made in his image, right? In his image, in his likeness, right? So we are different. And he doesn't say that about anything else that created. That is only about humanity, that actually we're made in his image. And the, the Hebrew word besalam um, that's used for image, um, it gets used throughout the Bible and it often means an idol, 
Um, it means basically a visible representation of an invisible being. And so they were kind of false idols or false gods. And but what God is saying in how we're created is actually we are created as his visible representation on earth. Like we're made in his likeness. If you kind of say that and think on that for a moment, like we're made in the image and likeness of creator God. Right? Sometimes it's passages like this, we're really familiar with them and we just kind of read them and we gloss over them without stopping and thinking, hang on a minute. Like, what on earth? I'm made in the image of God, eternal, everlasting, sovereign, creator God. He said, I'm going to make mankind like me in his image. Like, if we're, if we're seeing actually one of the things that humanity needs actually is, is who am I? Like, do I matter? Am I important? Am I loved? Am I valuable? How much more dignity and value can we get than being made in the image of the one true God? Like, that's, that's phenomenal. But that's what the Bible says. Firstly, God's purpose was actually he would create us in his image. The second thing is kind of speaks to actually, well, what are we here to do? And he says that we're to rule and reign on earth. It says subdue the earth, rule over. Um, We're called to be fruitful, fill the earth, multiply. So essentially there's these elements. We're to rule and to reign, to be fruitful and to flourish and to bring flourishing right? That's, that's what we're here to do. And again, if we look at the word, to subdue, so what it says, um, so it says, um, rule over. Other translations say subdue. That word for rule means, um, it's called kabash, and it can mean two different things. And if you look at how humanity is engaged with creation, you're like, yeah, we've often done the wrong one. It can mean to exploit, to abuse, or to enslave, right? That is, sometimes that's what that word means. Or, It can mean tame something that's wild, bring order out of chaos, bring harmony out of discord. I think we know which one we're supposed to do, but goodness, you look at creation and think, yeah, we actually sometimes haven't done that. But actually God's purpose was we would have that kind of interaction with creation. And this is, I do have had ruling other translations would say have dominion. That is a royal phrase. That has royal connotations all over it. So the king's domain is the area, the people, the situation that he had dominion over. So what God is saying in creation is, I want you to rule and reign. And actually, that means I want you to partner with me in bringing order out of chaos. Actually, and I want you to do that in a royal way. That actually, we have this, this royalty. That is our authority that we've been given. That is our God-given purpose. And we've got to figure out what that looks like. Because I, I know that when, you know, when God says it, he, what he talks about is, is fish and trees and things on the ground. He talks about, you know, does that just mean that we're to be fishermen, farmers, and grow good veg? Like, I don't think that's what it is. That's the language he uses. But to rule and reign, to bring flourishing, to create order out of chaos is actually in every sphere of society. There's one Hebrew scholar who said, actually, the call of God on humanity was to actively partner with God to take the world somewhere. Because this is the thing, when God saw, it says it again and again, when he looked at everything he made, he said it was good, but he didn't say it was finished. Because actually, there's more for us to do in this partnership of actually cultivating, building culture, communities, civilization. And and if you look over the, the history of mankind, actually, we have done that. Like, we have made extraordinary progress. We've done incredible things. We've also done some monstrously awful things because actually we've sometimes misused our God-given authority and purpose as people who are to rule and reign on the earth. So we need to get back to and figure out, okay, well, what does that mean 
for me in 2019 in Manchester, in, in my family, in my workplace, in, in wherever God's put me, what does that mean? What does that look like? Because God made a really good world, but there's more to be done. So we're to rule and reign, to be fruitful and to bring flourishing. That's what we're called to do. Nancy Piercy in her book, Total Truth, says this. That first phrase that we read about, to be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, laws. The second, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures and build civilizations, right? It's a pretty big call and we all have a part to play in it. And the third thing I want to see, so the first thing is we are made in the image and likeness of God with value and dignity and worth. We're made to rule and reign, real purpose, real influence and authority. And the third thing is that all of this is done in the context of relationships. All of this is done in relationships with each other and in covenant relationship with God. That was the plan. So when he says, you know, be fruitful, multiply, it's like have more people, like build families. That is a relational command. And when you read um, in Genesis with Adam and Eve, it talks about them walking with God in the cool of the day. There was this just this bottom line relationship of them just doing life in the garden with God. That's actually what he planned and purposed. And then we read it, it says actually, created Adam and said, actually, this is not good that he's alone. I need to create another. And Eve, so we have this context of, of male and female and marriage, but then what broader than that? And again, one thing I want to be super careful of is, you know, we can sometimes point to that and say, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to give him a wife. And we talk about marriage and the value of God's plan for marriage, which I'm not in any way, like it's a good plan and we need to hold on to it. But I want to be really careful that actually we, maybe if you're here and you're single, that you don't see somehow, well, that does that mean I'm resigned to being alone? So we've got to figure out what does this look like, whatever life stage we're at, whether we're married, single, wherever we find ourselves. It's not good for us to be alone. God created us to be in relationship with him and relationship with other people. And that's one of the things that we're going to look at probably after Christmas. So we're going to take a good chunk of time because those, those three things, there's a lot in them, right? To be made in the image of God, to be positioned in this royal position to actually rule and reign, to flourish and to bring flourishing and to do it in relationships. That's, that's what we want to figure it out. But in essence, this is, this is what I see kind of in that cultural or creation mandate is what it gets called that it actually speaks to um, some inbuilt, God-given needs that I think we all have. The firstly is this, that actually I am significant because I'm made in the image of God. I'm supposed to influence because I'm actually called to rule and reign. And I'm supposed to be connected to God and to other people. That is what God designed and planned and purposed in creating mankind and humanity. Those are God-given needs, I think, and I don't think we should apologize for them. I don't think we should diminish them. Listen, I absolutely recognize that those needs actually, like, do I matter? Am I loved? Am I significant? Am I influential? I'm kind of, what am, what am I here to do? Like, I absolutely get that those needs can get squeezed out of us. They can get distorted by maybe our culture, maybe our past, maybe our family experience, maybe even like our, our national stereotypes, actually. But there is this, I think, God-given call to significance, influence, and greatness in every person who he created. So we have to figure out, okay, what do we need to do with that? Acknowledging it's absolutely possible for those God-given needs 
to be met in completely the wrong way, right? That need to be significant and valued. And if uh, we can meet that in lots of different ways, horribly wrong. But the answer is not to suppress that and say, actually, I don't need that. I'm not significant, I'm not influential, and I don't need people, right? I get that it's a journey and I get that there's risk involved and all of that, but listen, that is what we're here to do. So I want us to acknowledge those needs because they are inbuilt in us at the very first place of creation. Actually, that was God created us for. And actually, if you, you know, what happens if we don't acknowledge, believe, value those needs that God's put in us? If we don't actually build on those truths and the way that God has planned and purposed it, then actually we will look to find significance elsewhere. We'll look to find it in what we do, how well we do it, what do we have, what do other people say about us, think about us. We'll look to find significance, that need. We'll look to have it met somehow or the other. But we need to come back to being it. Actually, it's met in this understanding that I am made in the image of God. Absolutely, I'm significant. Right? If we don't understand this rightly and figure out what is it for us to be influential, what does it look like for me to subdue and rule and reign? And like they're big words. And I think our national British stereotype, those, those of us who are Brits, actually we have this kind of slight avert. I'm sure some of you are like, oh gosh, that sounds somewhat arrogant and pre like we're not quite sure what to do with that. I remember chatting to um, a friend about this and he said, you know, this is where we're different, um, the UK and America is actually Americans have this inbuilt, they're born for greatness. They think they're born to be great, whereas us Brits, we think we're born to apologize. I'm like, yeah, there is that. I mean, that's broad brush, stereotypical, but there is something in that. We're not quite sure as Brits and as Christian Brits, because we're supposed to be humble, like how, what does that look like to be significant and influence and be like Jesus? I'm not sure the church has done a super great job at that. So how do, we, how do we figure that out? Because the thing is, if we don't, what we're gonna do is we're gonna devalue parts of our lives, we're gonna devalue the need for community, we're gonna devalue some things about culture because we don't understand that um, it's, it's all good, it's all God, and there's worship in all of it. And so we'll get stuck with these awful, here's the spiritual stuff and here's the, um, and here's the non-spiritual, the secular stuff that God's not really involved in. Um, and you know, we'll talk about in the church about the spiritual stuff, but here's like this, be honest. 90% of our lives are not spent in worship, in the Bible, in prayer. Like actually, it's doing the shopping, it's picking up the kids, it's in the office, it's at the gym, it's painting, like it's doing other stuff. That stuff is valuable and God-breathed and spiritual. And we have, if we don't understand this cultural creation mandate, actually we devalue um, parts of our lives that they don't matter. Actually, we stop ourselves having a voice in culture because we don't value certain things or certain communities. And so we end up that actually they are irrelevant to me and so therefore I am irrelevant to them. And that's not it. Because as well as a cultural creation mandate, there is a very great commission for us to make disciples. So we have to figure out how do I engage with culture knowing actually, do you know what, I've got something to say and I've got something to hear. I've got something I could show you, but I've got something I could learn from you. We haven't done a great job in the church doing that. And it's some of it I think is because we've not figured out what do we do with this, I'm supposed to be influential, I'm supposed to be significant. And if we don't really hold on to and believe and, and invest in actually that third value of, do you know what, we're supposed to be in relationship with God and relationship with other people, then we'll end up striving. We'll look to do it on our own. We'll look to meet our relational needs, maybe outside of God's plan and God order. We'll end up disconnected from God and isolated and withdrawn from other people. And that's not fruitful and flourishing. I know sometimes that feels easier because people are risky and relationships sometimes hurt us. 
But actually, that isn't how God created us to be. So wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever your past experience might have been, in relationship with God, maybe, in relationship with people, I want to tell you, you were made and created for relationship with God primarily and then with people. And if, if you have shut yourself down from part of that, I know it might feel safer, but that isn't. There's so much life for us if we learn to embrace relationship with God and other people. So that's, like, that is what God created us for. That was his plan and his purpose in the very beginning. But I want us to jump to the other end of the Bible very briefly and look at, okay, what's the end? Where's all this heading? So in the beginning, we see God's original design, that we're created in his image, that we're created to rule and reign. We're significant, we're influential, and we're to do it in relationship. That's the beginning, and we need to get back to that. But where is it this all going? What is actually this eternal destiny? It's original design at one end of the Bible, eternal destiny at the other. So let's jump on to Revelation, the very last chapter of Revelation, actually, Revelation 21. So if you if you're not familiar with it, it this is a, it's quite a, honestly, it's quite a strange book. It's a prophetic book where a guy called John basically has this vision of actually what happens at the end of all this. Um, and there's lot, kind of sometimes quite some strange imagery, but in, in Revelation 21, um, we have this beautiful picture of kind of where all this is heading. So it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If there's one word that jumps out of that passage of actually where's this all heading, is actually that it's new. The old stuff has passed away. So it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about a new Jerusalem. It talks about Jesus saying, I am making all things And the Greek word for all means all. I am making all things new. I'm a Greek scholar, did you not know? But it's new. It's not just stumbling along and wrapping it up and, oh, thank goodness we finished. There's newness at the very end. It's actually not an end, it's a new beginning, I think is what the Bible says. When Jesus is talking about the kind of the end times, the disciples um, in Matthew 19, 28, he says, Jesus said, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The important thing I want you to notice about the verse is, well, how does Jesus describe the end times? He describes them as the renewal of all things, not a dead end, a renewal of all things. The Greek word, now this is actual Greek. This is honestly Greek. Palingenesia is the word for, the Greek word that's used here for renewal. And it's two words. Paling or paling, which means again, and genesia, which sounds a little bit like Genesis, which actually means um, beginning. So what Jesus is pointing to saying, hey, listen, when all this is done, when we kind of come to the end times, actually, it's the renewal of all things. It's actually, 
it's beginning again, it's Genesis again, it's actually a new Eden. It's back, it's a renewal of what he originally saw. And you see that in the, in the passage in, Genesis, in Revelation 21, actually it's a new thing. It's not just, it's really important, it's not just a new heaven, it's a new earth as well. He's making all things new. And I love the, the language that he said, actually, that look, God's dwelling with his people, back like he always intended and how it was always supposed to be in Eden, that is made possible again through Jesus, actually one day will be fully made real because God will dwell with his people. That's where all this is heading. Like the end is not you and I sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. Actually, it's this sharp reality that, you know, it's a world made new. It's a renewal of all things. That's where this is heading. And so part of our call, you know, part of our cultural creation mandate from Genesis 1 actually is now, as Jesus followers, we get to partner with him in the seeing this renewal of all things. Because if, you know, if the Lord's Prayer tells us anything, is that actually we get to look to the future, that actually what God has in heaven, we get to pull that onto earth. So what God has in his future promised hope where there's a renewal of all things, actually we get to pull on that and see that become real and obvious around us. And so we've got to figure out how do I get into culture to help with that? Because all things means all things. We have, and we've got to stop separating it out. And it really, really matters because we talk a lot at church. We have our three E's, right? Actually, if you, if you want to distill everything down to what do we believe here at church? What are we here for? It's that we would encounter God. We'd be empowered in who we are as his sons and daughters. And we'd engage in the city. We would show up, right? For you to engage in the city, you need to know who you are. You're made in his image. You're significant. You're valuable. But you've got to have a value for where you've placed him because I'm honestly convinced we talk in the church about you know, we, everybody's in ministry and value. We, and we say all the right things, but I still think actually we have a hierarchy that actually, you know, pastor, you know, being in the ministry, the actual real ministry, being a pastor is the most important thing. And then after that, you know, if you're in missions, that's great, or at least be in a, you know, in the, in the charity sector. And then after that, well, okay, at least be in the caring profession, you know, be a nurse, be a social worker, be a doctor. And, and then, you know, and if you really have to be in business, well, just make sure you make a lot of money so you can sow into missions. And we've like, they've, and, and I know we'd never say that, but I wonder if somehow, I wonder if there's some of you here who actually, you feel devalued in where God's put you because you don't see that that is culture where, where Jesus is saying, I'm renewing all things. So I'm reviewing, I'm renewing economics. I'm renewing the education system. I'm renewing Hollywood or arts or sports. I'm renewing all things. They're all things. I was listening to a John Tyson um, podcast who's if brilliant on all this stuff. And he said, listen, there is not one part of human civilization or society, there is not one nation, one city, one family, one system that humanity has developed over which Jesus doesn't say, it's mine. It's all his. He's renewing all things. And you and I don't just to sit, get to sit back and watch it happen. We get to engage in that process. So engaging in the city is understanding what is this cultural mandate that's inbuilt in me to actually, to rule and reign, to have influence, to make a difference. And I flourish as I do it, and people and places around me flourish because I'm there, because of Jesus. This is what we've got to figure out. That's part of what we're called to do. Revelation 5.10 is this song the elders are singing before Jesus' throne all the time. And it says, it's, they're singing about God's people, it's singing about you and I. It says, you've made them to be a, king, a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's Genesis language. Right in Revelation, it's the same language, that we get to reign. 
And again, in, in Revelation 20, it says the same language. They'll be priests of God and Christ, and they'll reign with him for a thousand years. Right? We've got to have a better view of the end is not just, phew, I made it, I get to sit on a cloud in heaven. It's not that. And it actually, it starts now, this renewal of all things. So, it, so we want to, I want us to look at the middle, um, and we're going to really kind of dive into that a lot more next week. But I, I want to say this, because the middle really matters because of what happened at the fall, right? There was this beautiful, God-designed and planned and purposed creation. There was this unbelievable plan for humanity that went just horribly awry when sin entered the world. And there was this beautifully wonderful rescue and redemption by the work of Jesus. In order that we are, you and I, as Jesus followers, now we get to, we get restored into who we were supposed to be. We get restored into that cultural creation mandate is actually fully accessible to all of us now. And we get reconnected to this unbelievable future promised eternal hope. But we get, to, we get to stand on the beginning that I am made in his image. I'm made to rule and reign. I'm made for fruitfulness. I'm made for flourishing. And actually, there's this future promise that he's renewing all things. And one day, it will be a fully completed work. And it's not going to be a fully finished work until Jesus comes again. But actually, on my watch, in my time, actually, I get to move things forward. I get to move things forward in this renewal of all things with Jesus. Colossians 1 is going to be a really important chapter for us in this whole series. Genesis 1, Colossians 1. It says this, For God was pleased, this is verse 19, to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Remember the Greek for all is? Very good. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We can read that as a, it's a gospel verse talking about the cross of Jesus, and it is, and it's stunning. But that is a, that is a creation cultural mandate verse, to say actually the fullness of this creator God lived in Jesus, and through Jesus, he was reconciling all things, whether in heaven or on earth. So politics, education, economics, medicine, the arts, sports, all things are being reconciled, and it's only possible by Jesus. Because here's the thing I, I want to be super aware of. When we're going through this series, um, I, want, I don't want for us to say, actually, what we're going after is that we all have, we have a bit healthier self-esteem. Actually, I know I'm significant, I know I'm valued, I know I'm loved, and, and actually we have a, a better approach to work, and actually, oh yeah, no, work's not, you know, Jesus is there as well, and I get to value creativity, and I get to value excellence, and, and we somehow forget, or we leave out, Jesus, right? Because you can live kingdom values. I had this really good, um, but bizarre experience. We went to um, we went to watch a Muse concert at the Etihad a few months back, and um, they're a rock band. If you haven't come across them, um, they are insane live. Right? They're just crazy. They are unbelievably creative. They're musically like brilliant um, and it was just this stunning creative show and it kind of just pulled these tens of thousand people in and I had this moment and I honestly felt like God say they're doing what I put them on earth to do I was like they're not Christians this isn't worship this isn't Christian music but it's like no they are absolutely doing what they were put on the earth to do because they're created whether they know it acknowledge it live in it they're created in the image of God actually to create and build and be fruitful and be creative and and, it, and it's stunning what they can do so I was like, actually we've got to learn to figure out actually this kind of whole 
process of the renewable things and, and creation and creativity and excellence. But, and so I want us to value all of that, right? But at the same time recognizing actually the only way that the beginning gets reconnected to the end, the only way that actually the renewal of all things happens is through the person and work of Jesus. Actually, it's through him that all things are reconciled. So we can hear that verse as it, you know, it's reconciling people who are separated by sin to God, and it is wonderfully and perfectly so. But actually, Jesus' death is also the way that everything else in society and culture gets reconciled. But here's the thing, he is the way and he is the only way. So we, I don't in any way want you to hear what I'm saying is, let's get really good at our jobs, let's get really good self-esteem, let's have really good friendships um, and kind of leave Jesus to one side. Listen, it's in and through Jesus and only in and through Jesus that actually the fullness of those things get worked out. I think there are millions of people around the world who are actually, they're living in, as image bearers of God. Actually, they're living in some of that creation mandate and they're creative and what they're building and what they're doing. They don't know or recognize or call on the name of Jesus, but nonetheless, they are walking in some of who God's created them to be. And so we need to, as a church, value both of those things, right? Don't just see culture as somewhere I need to go and see souls saved, but it is that. It's actually, it's, does, am I making sense? I want us to value people and culture and creativity. I want us to be healthy as we do it, but I want us to know we do it only in and with and through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. That's the way this all gets worked out. Jesus is the one and he's the way that everything that was lost in the garden actually is restored to us. He is the one who reconnects you and I to this divine, God-given, inbuilt purpose and actually gives us back um, this authority. Actually, he is the one who affirms my significance before anything and anyone else. He is the one who gives me authority to actually go and have domain, have influence over, over things in this world. And he is the only one in the way that I get reconnected to this incredible promised future, that I'll be with him forever. But there's so much for us to grab hold of and to walk with and to run with. And that's what we want to unpack in this next four, five, six, 12, however long it takes us. I'm not in any hurry. Is that all right? Okay, why don't you stand? We've got and some time. I would love to pray and see what the Lord wants to do. I, um, I, want, us to pray for, I want us to pray for each one of us and then, and I'll, then I'm gonna, um, I feel like I'll do some stuff and we've got time, so let's do that. I guess my, my hope and my prayer for this morning as kind of as preparing this week is that um, I guess for all of us, we would just, for some of us, it's like, yeah, I absolutely, I know this, I live it, I breathe it, I'm there, I'm in. Um, and for you, it's, a, it's just that encouragement to keep going. For some of you, I feel like there's a, it's almost like a, that, you've, you're hearing this, you're like, that can't possibly be me. Um, I, and I guess my heart for all of us is that we would just dare to dream again and just, even just have the kind of, our focus raised just a little bit actually a slightly bigger perspective, actually a slightly bigger picture. And listen, it doesn't all have to fall in place all in one time, but actually just for us to have that kind of, oh, wow, that is me. That is who I am. That is what I'm called to do. And listen, we don't have to have it all figured out well, how on earth do we get there. That's fine. That's why we get to do it with each other. But actually, even this morning, just for that kind of to dare to hope, to dare to believe that's who you are and that's what God's called you to do. We can figure out all the rest of it as we go. But to start there, that actually that creation mandate, that divine purpose, that is you, that is in you and on you. And I know sometimes that kind of 
family and nationality and past experience and all they can squeeze those things out of us but I feel like God wants to stir that in us again so if it's all right would you place your hand on your heart I'd love to pray for you